Ashley Brock, reading Nora Roberts' book, Finding the Dream, Chapter 6. Byron didn't like to interfere with his department heads, but he knew and wanted them to know that a Templeton problem rose to the top. His interest in hotels and Alder Cross hatched inner workings had begun during a summer stint at Atlanta's Doubletree. Three months as a bellman had taught him more than the proper way to handle a guest luggage and had earned him more than enough cash to buy his first vintage car. He learned there were dramas and tragedies playing out daily, not just behind the closed doors or rooms and suites, but behind the front desk in sales and marketing and housekeeping and engineering. In fact, everything within the buzzing hive of a busy hotel. It had fascinated him, had pushed him towards sampling other aspects, from desk clerk to concierge. His curiosity about people, who they were, what they expected, what they dreamed of, had given him a career. He wasn't the doctor his parents had not so secretly hoped he would be, nor he'd been the travel-weary, trust fund kid his circumstances could have made him. He had a career he enjoyed. The constant variety of life in a big hotel continually intrigued him. He was a problem solver, one who considered the individual as well as the big picture. His choice of moving into the Templeton organization had been a simple one. He spent a great deal of time studying hotels, the luxuries, the oblique, the small and tidy, the change with their brisk pace, the old Europeans with their quiet charm, the Las Vegas ones with their flashing gaudiness. Templeton had appealed to him because it was family-run, traditional, without being stodgy, effective, efficient without sacrificing charm, and above all, personable. He didn't have to make it his business to know the names of the people who worked with and under him. It was simple a part of his makeup to take an interest, to retain information. So when he smiled at the woman currently checking in, a guest called out a casual, Good morning, Linda. It wasn't aware that her pulse picked up several beats left, or that her fingers fumbled on the keyboard as she watched him pass through on his way to the offices. Another section of the beehive was here, ringing phones, clicking faxes, humming copiers, the clank of keyboards. He passed stacks of paper boxes, crowded desks, changed a few greetings as he went, causing several pairs of shoulders to straighten and more than a few female employees to wish they checked their lipstick. The door to his destination was open and he found Laura Templeton with a phone to her ear. She offered him a harried smile and gestured to a chair. I'm sure we can arrange that, Mr. Humble. And catering? Yes, yes, I understand how important it is. Mr. Humble? She broke up, rolled her eyes apart. How many extra chairs would you like? Mrs. Bingham? She listened patiently, a small smile. Playing at the corner of her mouth. No, of course not. And I'm sure you'll have plenty of room if you make sure you sub the terrace. No, I don't believe it's calling for rain. It should be a lovely evening, and I'm sure your reception will be elegant. Mr. Humble? Now, security, why don't I talk to Mr. Humble for you and get back to you? Yes, by noon, I will. Absolutely. You're welcome. Miss Bingham, Miss Bingham is insane. <laughs> is she the orthodontist convention or the interior decorating? Decorating? She has decided at the last minute that she simply must give a reception tonight for 60 of her closest friends and associates. For reasons I can't explain, she doesn't trust Bob Humble to pull it off. Templeton. Byron said, smiling, the trouble is your name is Templeton, which puts you in a lofty position. You wouldn't know it from her office, he thought. It was tiny, cramped, and windowless. He knew she'd chosen the position in the workspace herself when she had decided to squeeze out time for a part-time job at the hotel. Byron didn't know how she managed her family and home, the shop, the hotel, which seemed to, to him to be the soul of serenity and quite efficient. 
until you looked close enough at the eyes there, shadowed in the late gray depths were doubt and worry and grief. Remnants, he thought, of a shattered marriage. You didn't have to come down here, Byron, she finished scribbling notes to herself as she spoke. I would have made it up to your office this morning. It's all right. <sighs> Problem with the two soldiers. <laughs> you think Orthodontus would have a little decorum, wouldn't you? With a sigh, she pulled papers out of a file. We've had complaints from both bars, but that's nothing I can't handle. I've yet to come across anything you can't handle. I appreciate that. But it's a delicate situation when a doctor apparently was having a, let's say, intimate moment with one of the other doctors when her husband decided to pay down an announced surprise visit. God, I love this job. Byron Sunday is like a long-running soap opera. Easy for you to say. I spent an hour this morning dealing with the pennant Penitent woman, she sat where you are, spilling out tears in the whole sordid story of her marriage, her affairs, her therapy. Weary with memory, Laura pressed her fingers to the inside corner of her eye, almost revealing the tension that was living there. This is her third husband, and she claims to be addicted to adultery. She should go on Oprah, women who are addicted to adultery, and the men who love them. Do you want me to talk to her? No, I think it's centered off steady enough. Our problem is, the husband wasn't too thrilled to find his wife and his, his brother-in-law wrapped in matching Templeton robes. It just gets better. Don't stop now. The husband props, popped his brother-in-law, who I should add for clarification, is married to our harem's sister, in the mouth, knocked out several thousand dollars worth of caps and so forth. There was some damage to the room, that's a major, a couple of lamps and crockery, she waves that away. But our problem is that the guy with the broken mouth is threatening to sue the hotel. Another victim. If he hadn't been so amused with the scenario, he would have said, what's his rationality? That the hotel is responsible for letting the husband in. He, the husband, called room service from a house phone, ordered champagne and strawberries for his wife's room. He had a dozen roses with him. She added. Then he waited until the wine arrived, slipping into the room behind the waiter. And, well... The rest is history. I don't think we've got any real problem here, but I'll take the file. I appreciate it. Relieve Laura passed the torch. I'd talk to the man myself, but I get the impression he's not too keen on women in authority. And to be honest, I'm swamped. The orthodontists have their banquet tonight, and the cosmetic people are coming in tomorrow. And of course, Mrs. Bingham. Right. She checked her washing rooms. I better get down to catering. There was other, there was one other thing, one other little thing. Standing up himself, he raised an eyebrow. The decorators are wrestling in the atrium. Not yet, because she appreciated him. She smiled. It was second nature to lure to hide nerves. It was an idea I had for the shop, but since it involves a hotel, I wanted to run it by you. Laura, it's your hotel. No, at this moment, I work here, and you're the boss. She picked up her clipboard and passed it from one of her hands to the other. Last fall, we put on a reception and charity auction at the shop. We intend to do it every year, but I was thinking we can plan another event. Straight advertising, really? A fashion show using clothes and accessories from the shop during the hotel season? The white ballroom would be ideal, and it's not booked for the first Saturday in December. I thought we could feature gala attire, formals, ball gowns, in addition to accessories, all from the shop. We'd advertise it in both the hotel and the resorts, with percentage-off certificates issued to Templeton employees and guests. You've got marketing in the blood. Listen, Laura. You work conventions and special events. You put an arm around a shoulder as they left the office. You don't need my go-ahead. I like to dot my eyes, so to speak. After I've talked it over with Margot and Kate, I'll work up a proposal. Fine. 
She's given an opening. You've been open for. <sighs> so how is Kate? She's holding up, of course. She occasionally drives Margot and me crazy. Born salesman, Kate isn't. <laughs> Laura said with feeling, but she's co competitive enough to make it work. Her smile softens, spread. And if Margot eyes so much as breathes on the book, she hisses. So that's a blessing. Still, still. They damaged something inside her. I don't know how serious yet, but she's too together, too controlled. She won't talk about it. Won't even discuss what should be done. Just closes up when any of us draw her out. Kit used to be a champion tantrum thrower. <laughs> now her fingers fidget it restlessly, tapping a pencil, plugging up papers on a clipboard. She's taking this without a fight when Margot's career blew up and she lost her spot as the spokeswoman for Belladonna. Kit wanted to out organize a protest. She actually talked about going down to L.A. and picking in on Rodeo Drive. Remembering put a smile back on Laura. I never told Margot because I managed to talk Kate out of it, but that's the way she is. She spits in claws and slaps when she's up against a personal problem. But not this time. This time she pulled in and I don't understand it. You're really worried about her. Bad realized. Yes, I am. So is Margot. Or she would have strangled Kate half a dozen times by now. She wants us to fill out a sheet in something called a column of pad every day. Wants an accountant, he said. She carries one of those electric memo pads in her pocket all the time. She's starting to talk about co-linking and getting online. It's terrifying. When he laughed, Laura caught herself and shook her head. Ask a simple question, Ben. Does everybody dump on you this way? You didn't dump, I asked. Josh said you were the only man he wanted in this job. It's easy to see why. You're so different from Peter. This time she didn't just catch herself. She clenched him. No. I'm not getting started on that. I'm already behind schedule. Miss Bingham's waiting. Thanks for taking the orthodontist off my hands. My pleasure. You might not hear her very often, but you're an asset to Templeton. I'm trying to be. She walked away. Byron turned in the opposite direction, studying her carefully and precise report as he went. At the end of the day, he met with Joss at Templeton Resort. The office there was a sprawling room on the executive level, with windows offering a view of one of the resort's uh, two lagoon-like pools surrounded by hibiscus and righteous bloom and a patio with redwood tables under candy-pink umbrellas. Inside, it was built for comfort as well as business with deeply cushioned leather chairs, deco lamps, and a stylish watercolor street scene of Milan. Want a beer? At the offering, Byron nearly sighed low and deep. He accepted the bottle from Joss, tipped it back. Sorry to hit you at the end of the day. It's the first I could get away. <sighs> There's no end of the day in the hotel business, Justin. Your mother said that. Byron grinned. Susan Templeton was one of his favorite people. You know, if your father would just step aside like a gentleman, I'd beg her to marry me. He drank again, then nodded at the file he put on Joshua's desk. I started to fact this business over, then thought I'd just swing by personally. Instead of going behind the desk, Josh picked up the file, stretched out in the chair opposite Byron. He skimmed the reports with his varying reactions, a chuckle, a groan, a sigh, and oath. That sums up my feelings, Byron. I had a talk with Dr. Holderman myself a few hours ago. He's still a guest. He's got temporary caps on and real beautiful black eye. My take is he doesn't have a case, but he's pissed off enough and embarrassed enough to pursue it. Josh nodded, came to his conclusion. In your recommendation? Let him. Agreed. Josh touched the file. I'll pass it along to legal with that recommendation. Now. Josh settled back the beer bottle, cut loosely in his hand as I 
why don't you tell me why you're really here? You can handle this kind of nuisance in your sleep. Byron rubbed his head. We know each other too well. <laughs> Ten years on and off should be enough. What's on your mind, Bye? Okay, pal. Josh Bruce, really? <laughs> Not in that context. Byron said a bit too quickly. It was something Laura said today that got me thinking about the whole situation. Biddle made some serious allegations against her, yet they hadn't pursued it, and neither has she. It's going on three weeks now. I'm going to get pissed off again. What a stiff bubble. Josh Rosen paced him. My father used to play golf with Larry Biddle. I don't know how many times he's been over to the house. He's known Kate since she was a kid. Have you talked to him? Kate almost took my head off when I threatened to. Scrounge, just go down to That was okay, but then she just shut down. She seemed so shaken over the whole thing. I didn't push. Hell, I've been so wrapped up in Margo and the baby, I let it side. <laughs> we did this heartbeat, heartbeat thing at the doctor's today. It was so cool. You could just hear beating away. This quick little beeping, bopping. Stop when he caught a fire turn. Kate, team beginning. That's okay. You can indulge in a obsessive expected fatherhood for a minute. There's more. It's not an excuse for letting my sister dangle. He sat again. But the muscle on his cheek told you. We decided to settle with Ridgeway. Goddamn bastard cheats on Laura, scalps her, ignores his children, and alienates half the staff of the hotel. We end up cutting him a check for a quarter million just to avoid a permanent termination, premature termination suit. It's rough, but he'll be gone. He better stay gone. He could always break his nose again. Bastard, there is that. Well, himself to relax, Josh Rosen. You could say I've been a little distracted the last few weeks. And Kate, she's always been so self-reliant. You mean to take it for granted. Laura's worried about her. Laura's worries about everybody but Laura. Josh brooded for a minute. <sighs> I haven't been able to get through to Kate. She won't talk about it, at least not to me. I hadn't considered going over her head to Biddle. Is that what you're getting at? It's none of my business. The thing is, Byron studied his beard for a moment. Those calm, clear eyes to Josh. He thought it through, as he did any problem. It'll come to one conclusion. If Biddle does decide to pursue a case against her, wouldn't she be better off to take the offensive now? The threat of a nice, fat libel suit, unjustified suspension, loss of income, emotional distress. Byron smiled and Well, you're the lawyer. It took him the best part of a week, but Joss was hotly pleased when he showed her the pretense he'd just come from. A meeting with the partners of Biddle and Associate, he caught his wife around the waist and kissed her thrillingly to the delight of the customers. Million Bubshop. Hi. How are yourself, and what are you doing in my parlor in the middle of the day? I didn't come for you. He kissed her again and barely restrained himself from lying a hand on her stumbling flat stomach. Couldn't wait for her to go. I need to talk to Kate. Captain Quake is in the office, rolling marshmallows and talking about strawberries. Joshua's I'll touch her corner, Captain Blake, these days. He wasn't insane enough. She's redoing the filing system. Color coding. Good God, what's next? Margot Nelrose. She put up a bulletin board. She wants to be stopped. I'll go in. He turned a deep breath. If I'm not out in 20 minutes, remember, I've always loved you. Very funny. She wanted to manage to hold the smile. Back until he slipped into the rear office. Josh found Kate mumbling over files. Her hair stood up and spikes and the first two fingers of her right hand were covered with rubber tips. Less than a year. 
she said without turning around. And you and Laura had managed to miss out half of everything. Why the hell is a fire insurance voice in the umbrella file? Someone should be flocked. I'm not amused. I'm amused. She turned. I him. I don't have time for you, Josh. Your wife's making my life a living hell. Funny. She says the same thing about you. Despite her furious glare, he walked over and kissed the tip of her nose. I hear your collar coding, collar coding the files. Somebody has to. The software install keeps clean records, but you're better off backing up with hard copy and retail. I told Margot to do this months ago, but she's more interested in selling trinkets. God knows how you can expect to keep a retail business running by selling things. She's in a breath. Who's seen the hair out full? She sounded. My point is, you can hardly keep any business successful if you don't concern yourself with the details. She's been locking shoes under wardrobe instead of accessories. She needs to be punished. He grabs Kishon. Let me do it. Chuckle. <laughs> she shoved him back. Go wait. I don't have time to laugh right now. I didn't come by for laughs. I need to talk to you. He pointed to chair. So sit. Can this wait? I have to be back in the storeroom in an hour. I want to get the files and shape first. Sit. He repeated. Gave her a brotherly nudge. <laughs> I just had a meeting at Biddle. The impatience drained out of her eyes, leaving them cold and blank. Excuse me? Don't take that tone with me, Kate. It's past time this was dealt with. She continued to take that tone quiet and icy as spear clawed at her insides. And you decided you were the one to deal with it. That's right, as your attorney. You're not my attorney, she shot back, who went to court to get you out of that speeding ticket three years ago. You... But, and who looked over your lease for your apartment before you signed it? Yes, but who wrote your will? Her face turned mutations. I don't see that. That has anything to do with it. I see. Just because I've handled all the picky legal details of your life doesn't make me your lawyer. It doesn't give you the right to go behind my back, talk to Biddle, particularly since I asked you to leave it alone. Fine, it doesn't. Being your brother does. Bringing up family loyalty was in case opinion, hidden below the bell. She sprang to her feet. I'm not. The inadequate, incapable little sister, and I won't be treated like one. I'm handling this. How? Prime the fight got to his feasible. By collar coordinating the files in here. Yes! Since he was shouting out, Kate matched her voices. By making the best of the situation. By getting on with my life. By not whining and crying. By backing down and doing nothing. He poked his finger against her shoulder. By going into denial. Well, it's gone on long enough. Biddle and company know they're facing legal action. Legal action! The blood drained out of her face. She couldn't feel every jaw flow. You told him I was going to sue. Oh my god. Dizzy, she leaned on the desk. Hey, he grabbed her arm. Sit down. Catch your breath. Leave me alone. Leave me the hell alone. What have you done? What needed to be done? Now come on, honey. Sit down. Jesus Christ. She loaded her other the poke on her shoulder. She landed a punch on her. How dare you? Your collar was back, flaming. How dare you threaten legal action? I didn't tell them you were going to sue. I merely left them chewing over that impression. I told you to leave it. This is my business. Mine. She threw up her hands, spun around. What gave you this brainstorm, Joshua? I'm going to kill Margot. Margot didn't have anything to do with it. Though if you would open your beady eyes for five minutes, you see how worried she is about you. How worried everyone is. Because he might poke her again. He decided his hands were safer in his pocket. I should've, shouldn't have let it go this long. But I've had things on my mind. If Bai hadn't dropped by and given me a push, it would have taken me longer. But I've gotten to it. Stop breathing hard. She held up a hand. Play back.
Byron DeWitt, talk to you about it. Me, realize it is misstep. Josh Chattaquick, your name came up in conversation, that's all. And it started me. My name came up. Now she was reason between clenched teeth. Teeth that matched the fists. Ready at her sides. Anger was better, she realized in pain. Oh, I just bet it did. That son of a bitch. I should have known he couldn't keep his mouth shut. About what? Don't try to cover up and get out of my way. Her shove was fierce enough and unexpected enough to knock him back. Where he could make the grab. She was sailing past him. Just a damn minute I haven't finished. You go to hell. She shot back over her shoulder, costing several customers to glance around nervously. She stormed out of the office. She sent Margo one seething glare before she slammed the front door behind her. Well, shrugging with a smile, Margo handed a bag and purchased to a white-eyed customer. That's 38.53 out of 40. Still smiling, she handed over the train. And the show was free. Please come again. With the wariness of a man who understood trouble when it stared at him from sultry blue eyes, just approached the counter. Sorry about that. We'll deal with sorry later, she said on her breath. What did you do to upset her? Just like a woman, he starts to take the woman's head. I try to help her. You know how she hates that. Well, instead of taking your head off, did, this, did she storm out of here looking like she was going to take someone else's head off? He sighed, scratched his chin, she'll see. <laughs> she's finished taking my head off, now she's going for Byron's. He sort of suggested that I help her. Marco tapped girl, tipped nails in the glass. I see. I really ought to call him, give him some advance warning, <laughs> but when Josh reached for the phone on the counter, Margot laid it from him. Oh no, I don't think so. Who wouldn't want to spoil Kate's advantage? Margot, it's only fair. Fair has nothing to do with it, and you're going to be busy waiting on customers to make personal calls. Now, now he's stuck his hands in the book. Duchess, I've got a meeting in a couple hours. I don't have time to help you out around here. Thanks to you, I'm short-handed. Knowing that that wouldn't get very far, she let her shoulders And I'm feeling a little tired. Tired? Panic came on. You should get off your feet. You're probably right. Oh, she felt strong as a horse. She scooted a stool over to the cash register and pushed on it. I'll just sit here and ring up sales for the next hour. Oh, Josh, darling, be sure to offer the customer champagne. Enjoying herself, she slipped off her shoes and prepared to watch her adorable husband handle a store full of customers. The only show she would have preferred to witness was the one that would be starting shortly in the penthouse office of Templeton Monterey. Their first analogy that came to Byron's mind was that of a wild, possibly rabid deer charging. Kate cut through his shocked pro protesting assistant like a sharp knife through quivering jelly, snarled like a feral she-wolf, and might very well have delivered the knockout punch of a flyway champ if Byron hadn't singled assistant to her train. Whoa, Catherine. He barely missed a beat when she slammed the door with a resounding crack. What an unexpected pleasure. I'm going to kill you. I'm going to rip off your meddling nose and stuff it in your flapping mouth. As much fun as I'm sure that will be. Would you like a drink first? Some water. You're a bit flushed. Who the hell do you think you are? She sprang toward the desk, smashed her palms down on its polished and just now crowded surface. What possible right do you have to mix in my business? Do I strike you as some weak-willed, empty-headed woman who needs a man to defend her? Which one of those questions would you like me to answer first? Why well, don't 
Why don't I take them in order? He said before she could shout again, You know exactly who I am. I didn't mix in your business any more than an attentive and concerned friend would. And no, no indeed. I don't see you as weak-willed or empty-headed. I see you as stubborn, rude, and potentially dangerous. You haven't got a clue how dangerous, pal. That thread might have might more weight if you take off those filing tubes. They spoil the image. A strangled sound erupted from her throat as she looked down and discovered the brown rubber tips still on her fingers. Smooth and quick, she ripped them off and threw them at him. Just as smooth, just as quick, he got them both before they hit his face. Good arm, he commented. I bet you played ball in school. I thought I could trust you for reasons she didn't want to analyze. Thinking of that made her eyes sting. I even for one brief foolish moment thought that I could learn to like you. Now I see that my first impression of you was an arrogant, self-important, sexist jerk was totally on the mark. Their sense of betrayal was ever been as keen as her fury. fury. I was really when you found me on the cliffs. I was vulnerable. Everything I said there, I said to you in confidence. You had no right to run to Josh with it. <laughs> he set the rubber tips on it. I didn't say anything to Josh about the day on the cliffs. I don't believe you. You went to him. I don't lie, said sharply. She glimpsed the steel beneath the posh. Yes, I went to him. Sometimes it takes someone outside the family to put things on the table, and your family's torn up about what happened to you, Kate. More worried about the way you're behaving. My behavior isn't any of my business. He finished for all that something as harmless as me speaking with Joss sent you into a tailspin of revenge and retribution. But being a question about embezzlement makes you curl up in the fetal position and suck on your thumb. You don't know what I'm doing, what I'm feeling, and you have no right to pass judgment. No, that's all quite. No, that's all quite true. <laughs> if it, if you weren't so self-involved, you see that no one's passing judgment. But as an outsider, I can tell you that your family is hurting for you. Her flesh died until her cheeks were blown away. Don't lecture me about my family. Don't you dare. There's no, there's, they're the most important people in the world to me. I'm handling this my way because of my family. He cocked his head. Which means? Which means that too. It's none of your business. She pressed her fingers to her eyes, fighting for control. Nothing and no one is more on my mind than my family. He believed that without hesitation. I felt more sorry for Your way of handling the situation isn't working. How the hell do you know? Because people talk to me. His voice was gentler now, and the edge of temper had smoothed out of it. Margo, Laura, Josh, because I know how worried and angry I'd be if it was my sister. Well, it isn't your sister. The anger snapped back into her voice, but her cheeks stayed wet. I'm capable of dealing with this. Josh has enough on his plate without being guilted into taking this on. Do you really think guilt has anything to do with it? She fumbled her. Don't twist my words around the wit. Those were your words, pal. Now, if you're finished with your tantrum, we can discuss this. Tantrum! I've heard you were good at them, but now that I've had a first-hand demonstration, I see the reports were underestimated. You never thought that dark, glossy brown. <laughs> could turn to fire until he watched it happen in her eyes. I'll show you a tantrum. With one sweep, she sent most of the papers on his desk flying, then raised her fist. Come out from behind that desk. Oh, you tempt me. His voice was honestly quiet, his eyes dangerously cool. I've never hit a woman in my life, and never have I found it necessary to make that statement before. But you tempt me, Catherine, to break all kinds of records. Now either sit down or get out. 
I'm not sitting down and I'm not getting out. And so we, she broke up. Strangled and cry. She pressed a hand under her breast. Now I did come around the desk, cursing on me. Damn it. Damn it. What are you doing to yourself? Don't touch me. The burning pressure made her eyes water where she struggled when he led her to a chair. You're going to sit down. You're going to try to relax. And if you don't have your collar back in 30 seconds, I'm hauling your skinny butt to the hospital. You just leave me alone. She humbled out her antacids, knowing it was like trying to put out a forest fire with a water pistol. I'll be fine in a minute. How often does this happen? None of your business. She yelped a pain of shock. Refused seated. Pressed two fingers and Adam. Do you have your appendix? Keep your hands off me, Dr. Feel Good. He only continued to frown. Move his fingers through the inside of her wrist. Pins <sighs> give a mill skin. Before she could evade, he caught her face in his hands. Took a long, observant, objective look. The collar was seeping back slowly, and her eyes were filled with temper again rather than pain. But he saw other things. You're not sleeping. You're tired, overstressed, and undernourished. Is that how you're handling this? Her stomach quivered. Echo pain in her. I want you to leave me alone. You don't always get what you want. You're exhausted, Kate, until you start taking better care of yourself, someone else. I have to do it for you. Be still. He ordered an absent murmur, holding a hand on her shoulder. So he checked his watch. I'm tied up here until about six. I'll pick you up at seven. Will you be at the shop or at home? What the hell are you talking about? I'm not going anywhere with you. I realize I'm annoyed. I realize I'm annoyed with myself for handling this matter badly. You do seem to bring out the worst in me. He added mostly to himself. So you're going to get a decent meal and the opportunity to discuss these gripes of yours in a civilized manner. It was frightening her. The casual man he assumed, assumed the glint of heat in his eyes that warned her he could shift out of casual mode at any moment. I don't want to have dinner with you, and I'm not feeling civilized, considering you're back on his heels so their eyes were level. Let's try it this way. You go along with this, or I pick up the phone and call Laura. She'll take her about two minutes to get up here, and when she does, I'll tell her that twice now. I've seen her go white and double over. You have no right. No, Kate. What I have here is a hammer. That beats the hell out of rights. Check this watch again. I have a conference call coming through in about five minutes. Or we'll, or we'll finish more of this now. <sighs> Since the reasonable thing would for you to go home and get some rest, I'll assume you'll go back to the shop. I'll pick you up at seven. Trap, she nudged him aside and got to feet. We closed at six. Then you'll have to wait, won't you? And don't slam the door on your way out. Of course she did, and he found he had to smile. But the smile faded when he picked up the phone and hurriedly punched in a number. Dr. Martha, Margaret DeWitt, please. It's her son. Another look at his watch. No, I can't wait. Would you ask her to call me when she's free? The office before six at home after seven. Thanks. He hung up. Then began to put in order the papers Kate had scattered. Almost amused, he pocketed the filing tips she left behind. He doubted that Kate would appreciate him calling his mother the internists for an over-the-phone diagnosis of her symptoms. But somebody had to look out for her, whether she wanted it or not. End of chapter 6.